We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? Oh, you know, pretty good. We had a long weekend. We, we uh, took all three days of it off. That was nice. How about wow. you? How are you doing, man? So I couldn't find any fireworks uh, here where I live. And in fact, like two years ago, I drove to a stand in the district that had fireworks. And I bought a shitload of fireworks and blew them up in the backyard. And this year, because you know, because the pandemic is waning, I, it's irresponsible for me to say it's over. So it's waning. Since people were out and about, I was like, okay, the fireworks stand will be back. So I drove to D.C. And then it wasn't there. It still wasn't back. I couldn't find... I got lost on the way back, too. And I couldn't even find fucking whippersnappers at the supermarket. So I was like, shit, I have nothing to blow up with my children that's horrible and irresponsible and just horrible and doubly horrible. And did I mention it was horrible? Yeah, this sounds horrible. horrible. Really, horrible. I, I mean, I almost don't know what to say. This sounds terrible. Like, if you can't yeah. get I'm, explosives within a short drive of your home, like, are you not living in communist China at that yeah, point? Yeah, it's true. We're not, we're not free if we can't have explosive mortar shells that end up killing poor hawker, hockey goalies. Oh, R.I.P. This week, yeah. Our life, our, it's, this is a very special podcast dedicated to uh, fireworks injuries. Anyway, the point is... Uh, this, this story has a happy ending on uh, on July 5th. I was walking Carter outside to take a shit. Carter takes a shit, not me. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, found, <laughs> I found an unopened pack of black cats sitting in the middle of the road. Now, I've gotten fun bag messages about like, well, I found a whole candy bar unwrapped in the road. Should I eat it? And my answer is always like, I don't, I don't answer those questions firmly enough. I, I should really just say yes, eat the fucking candy bar. But the point is... This time it was fireworks, and I don't eat fireworks. I can just make them blow up. So I was like, well, I'm taking this shit. So I got it, and I brought it home. And I said to my youngest son, I was like, look what I got. And his eyes just fucking bugged out of his head like a Tex Avery cartoon. And he was like, oh, hell yeah, it's on. So we went out, and we blew him up in the backyard, and we got our 4th of July on the right way, and I was very, very happy. That's great. It. That's also much less of an ethical conundrum than I mean, all the things that you say about like a wrapped candy bar. The one that I remember, this is the most perverse dead cast question that I ever encountered, was somebody writing that like, if you go into like a, a gas station bathroom and a rest stop, and there's just untouched and, and apparently fine, a beautiful, large format Italian sandwich sitting on top of the urinal, would you eat it? And like- I had a hard time answering it when we were recording that podcast like three years ago. And I still think about it sometimes. And I don't know if I was right in my answer because I believe I was like, I might have a little bit. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I might have a nibble. Yeah. Well, it's like to see if it maybe it has hot peppers on it. I like that. <laughs> uh, also, I, I'm going to apologize in advance uh, to uh, late Columbus Blue Jackets goalie, uh, Matisse Kivlenix, uh, for making light of his accident. I got shit from readers last week for making a Connor Clapton joke, which I don't regret, but I regret yeah. a little bit uh, goofing on Kivlenik's accent because uh, he died from the percussive blast of what was called a mortar in news reports. And I was like, you're allowed to buy something called a fucking mortar? Yeah, you can die of a World War One injury in yeah. the Legacy's backyard. I mean, yeah, those are I just... Didn't... Let's say hi to Albert. Albert yeah, that's what Albert Bernico. <laughs> Hello, friends. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, mortars are just the, like, foom uh, fireworks from, like, the show that you go to. You can get those in South Carolina at a store. Is a mortar actually, like, is the mortar the explosive itself, or is it the shell around the explosive? Well, so I think it's actually the tube. There's, like, a right, tube. Right, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Well, there's I a don't tube, know and then, tube. And then there's, like, a little tennis ball-sized guy. It's a tube, is it? I don't you know. Won't. Oh, oh, you're stealing my it's coming home. That's right. Before now you don't I... get to do it. It belongs Damn to me you. now. You absolute piece of shit. <laughs> I was all ready to sneak in. Hey, it's coming home. <laughs> right when you weren't expecting it. And now it's too late. Leave it out, mate. It's more uh, like he gave uh, you a runway. Yeah. <laughs> Albert, gave me, uh, Albert gave me a tip on driving to his town to buy some fireworks. He saw stands and I was too lazy to drive the 30 minutes to his hometown. Uh, to go buy them. But Albert, did you buy fireworks and blow them up real good? Uh, we did blow up some fireworks. I didn't end up having to buy them, uh, which is great. Ooh, that's perfect. Uh, they, they were ignited by our own Chris Thompson, uh, but they were Ooh. very cool. Yeah. They, they, they're expensive. They're not cheap. Like, I don't even remember. Like, you get, they all come in like, they all come in like gift baskets. Like, I expect there to be like a moisturizer, like included right. with something. <laughs> they all, they all cost like a hundred or two hundred dollars. And I'm like, what? Wait a second. 
this should only cost $5. In, in my town, you go watch the fireworks display, it's free. Why am I paying money for ammunition? That just seems utterly, <laughs> utterly unacceptable. Can I briefly uh, just give you the unbearable, um, childless, bougie city person version of the July 4th celebration that my yes. wife and I did? Uh, we figured that all the fancy people would be out of town because it's a long weekend and it's the summertime. And so we tried to go to a restaurant that's very popular that we've never really had a great uh, deal of success getting into and just fucking walked in at 8 p.m. and had a really nice dinner. Oh, score. Yeah. Counter counter programming uh, was when Ethan Hawke is in Hungary filming Moon Knight. <laughs> his usual table at Via Carota becomes available. And that's where I can. How was your meal? Was it fucking meal? great. Were there fireworks in your tummy? Uh, it sort of, we got to see some walking back, which was sort of nice. Like we were like, oh, good, great. So we can throw that on top of the whole experience that we had. I, I had um, an okay. experience that it's like how I know that I'm really liking something. It's like sort of a, as restaurants go, this is one of those ones where there's like some smaller plates and some bigger plates. And you have to kind of try to guess with the server's help, how much food you're supposed to order. So we got some smaller things and we're eating those. And that's like their specialty. And then we got a piece of fish as our main. And I wasn't sure, you know, splitting it to adults, um, you know, and I'm uh, an oaf who eats his body weight every day. And in this case, like it was so good that within a, the first two bites, I said to my wife that I was like, if you just want to get another one of these, like, if you think that this isn't <laughs> going to be enough, if you, I'll just put that order in now. And then when we finish this one, there'll be another one. Then we can just keep eating it. And she, was, and she was like, why don't we wait more than 90 seconds to see if it winds up being enough food, which it was. Uh, but I was that excited. I'm just oh, that out I, of shape at being in restaurants. Too, I have I done. I have done the uh, the late to the game double order, and it's bitching. I've yeah. never regretted it. We I got pasta did. for dessert on our honeymoon, and it made a bunch of uh, really grouchy Italian servers like us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is normal, but whenever we go to like a small plates type place, I'm always like, I'm keeping this about the menu after I order. Like, I'm hanging on to this. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> totally have done that. Absolutely, where you're like. Especially if it's like one of those small plate motherfuckers where yeah. you're like, you're like, oh well, you know, we and you know, usually three plates for each person does the job, and you know it's not because you can get like one baby squid, like for eight dollars or something like that. I do like so the idea like, of holding onto it so that like when you get to the end of the meal, you're like, I have room for exactly this plate of radishes <laughs> with cultured butter that right. costs seventeen dollars. That's what I want. That I can't have anything more than that, but I well, will I, eat that. I had to cure my stomach first to know yeah. what <laughs> it can take <laughs> later. Film the runway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> By the way, uh, Al- Albert is uh, is back on the podcast uh, after he was here just a month, about a month and a half ago. So we have had repeat guests in repeat weeks, which is very special. But Albert came uh, right at the beginning of the NBA playoffs, and right when I asked him if uh, if the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns uh, were sort of fraudulent as the top seeds mm-hmm. in the Western mm-hmm. Conference in a uh, in an attrition filled season. And honestly, Albert, this is this is more my fault than yours. I don't really remember what you said, but of course, Utah turned out to be fraudulent, as I expected. But the Phoenix Suns are pretty fucking good, Albert. They're pretty good. They are pretty good. Uh, yeah, and like in retrospect, it's kind of crazy that like they clearly were the best team in the playoffs. Yeah, they were maybe yeah. the best team in the bubble before last year's playoffs. It yeah. doesn't necessarily make sense, uh, and I still have a hard time processing it. But yeah, they've fucking rolled. I think it's part of it is, and Albert, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it felt, and I'm too casual to, to have this be a concrete opinion, but when Chris Paul did his time in Houston and then got traded to the Thunder for Russell Westbrook, I felt like, okay, his career's over. Like, he, he's not, he's not going to be a relevant NBA player ever again. And then he got traded to Phoenix, and at the time, prior to Phoenix's bubble run, I was like, well, Phoenix is just a fucking wasteland. Like, they have a shitty, cheap owner. They don't give a fuck about anybody. And, you know, they have DeAndre Ayton, who I did not, honestly, I didn't know what kind of player he was at the time. And so to have it come about this season, where Paul is not at all a non-entity, and have Ayton be one of the most exciting big men I've watched in a very, very long time, to have that all come together, I think is... Albert, was this something that you f- kind of saw coming, or is this completely out of the fucking blue? Uh, so I was on the record, at least in Slack, uh, thinking this was a cool idea, even at the time. Um, okay. I, I certainly would not claim that I predicted that the Suns were going to be the best team in the NBA over it, because I, cert- I definitely did not. But uh, I thought 
that uh, Chris Paul probably still had a few more years of being the kind of guy who could like organize a crappy team to be better than it was. I just had no he did idea. It last year. Like yeah. with, the, with the Thunder. Right. They made the playoffs, and that was a much worse, on its face at least, team than the Suns. But I really had no idea how much better the Suns could get. Because I had a pretty low opinion of, like, Devin Booker, which now looks really stupid in retrospect. I think it's, yeah. it's all contextual, though. Like, I'm, I'm letting you off the hook because I'm also in the process letting myself off the hook. Because I, right. I, I certainly agreed with you where Booker was concerned. I just thought he was like an empty calories guy on a shitty team. And yeah. like he was right up until he wasn't, you know, like it's not to say that any of it, like that was just the opportunity that was afforded to him. It turns out that like when things are much better organized and the stakes are higher, he's like exactly as good as that. Yeah. Turning right. out, it turns out that, you know, having a bloodless score type is actually quite useful as a complimentary component on yeah. a championship roster. Like it's, you know, it, it, it yeah. makes perfect sense. So then as it stands now, uh, we, we just watched game one uh, of the finals between uh, Phoenix and Milwaukee. And so it was a fantastic game for the first half. Like, it, it had a finals feel to it to me. Like, it was haymakers back and forth. Yeah, for sure. All, all the first half. And then the Suns took command and ran away with it in the second half. And I'm, uh, I'm under the impression now that the Suns will win the series eventually. If not, you know, if not in a sweep, then, you know, then... The Bucks will get their cursory one or two games at home. I hope that actually isn't true. I hope that I get more basketball like the first half last night. But uh, let's assume that Phoenix goes on and wins this series, Albert. Do you see this as a lasting uh, team when we know that LeBron will be fully rested at the beginning of next season, Klay Thompson will be back in Golden State, Kyrie Irving will be back at full health in Brooklyn? Can this be the beginning of something or is this, you know, a fun anomaly? Uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on it being the beginning of some kind of dynasty. Uh, so much of it depends on um, their 36-year-old free agent. Right. Well, yeah. And, yeah. And, and Phoenix is like famously cheapskate organization. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's any reason to expect that they're going to go back in the toilet anytime soon, you know, barring like, you know, DeAndre Ayton's legs falling off or something. Right. Well, the thing about it, I love watching Aiton because, like, even now, it does not feel as if he has tapped all his potential. Like, every time, like, he doesn't, the offense doesn't run through him, and yet when he gets the ball, I'm like, holy shit, like, something fucking really cool is about to happen. And I, I, I see a future where that happens a lot more often, and I'm not, like, I'm not going to go so far and say, like, he's the next Olajuwon or anything like that, but there is a lightness to him. And just this ability for him to be anywhere on the court he needs to be at any time. He's like a fucking phantom. And yet he's also a million feet tall. And just yeah. this incredibly, incredibly like taut, wiry, huge dude. And so, I, you know, even, you know, with the status of Paul going on, I, I feel like Aiden is the one who can make them a lasting contender from here on out. He's definitely extremely cool. Uh, I wrote about this in our hour my uh finals preview it was mine damn it uh no one else was allowed to read it uh that's right um you turned comments off just that just i you know i've been sort of enjoying uh how off the book on him turned out to be from before the draft when it was sort of like um you know, will this guy ever be able to be a, an adequate defender or is he just too slow-footed and leaden for that? Uh, and, it, and it turns out that he like, yeah, that he's like a pogo stick. Like he, he's all over the place. It's uh, unbelievable. Like last night, yeah. like he was a foot behind the free throw line and he took one step to get to the hoop and it wasn't even like extraordinary. Like it looked like an average fucking play for him. Like they didn't replay it. They weren't. They didn't do the Dan Orlovsky thing where they were like, "I want you to look at this play." Like right. it was just like it was just him being him, and he can <laughs> do that all the fucking time. In the direction of the goal. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing, man. It's truly amazing. Is there potential still in this series to be competitive, Albert? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I was looking at it. You know, like I think probably everybody else. Like for me, the second half last night did not feel close. But you know, you you kind of look at it the next day and like more than the entire final uh, winning margin is covered by just the free throw differential between the teams. And like, that's going to even out like the, the bucks are not always going to shoot 10 fewer free throws per game than the, uh, 
than the Suns throughout the series. That's no, not-, not when they get home either. So. Uh, right. So, and like, you know, no, there's no, nothing you can point to on the Bucks that's like, you know, okay, this, this, this key lineup of theirs was a sinkhole against the Suns. Like, they, they actually played reasonably well. They just didn't win. Um, and they, they stuck with some kind of dumb defensive stuff that they should, they, they're going to get away from as the series goes along. So, like, yeah, I still Will think... They? I think uh, they tend to stick with dumb stuff as series. They go do along. tend to stick with dumb stuff, um, <laughs> but you know, like they tried, they tried two different approaches last night. They tried like not switching screens and having their center hang back the way they've always done, and that didn't work. And then they tried just sort of like passively giving away every matchup that the Suns wanted, and that predictably didn't work either because the. Chris Paul and Devin Booker spent the whole second half roasting poor Bobby Portis. Yeah, that's what I was going to steer us into the Bobby Portis portion of the evening. That was, for a game that was mostly fun to watch, I spent a lot of it uh, sort of cringing sympathetically as Bobby Portis was hunted out again and again and again. Ruthlessly. Yeah, really mean. Hate to see it. And they well, can, that was the thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rolf. Well, I was just going to say they can they can make the Suns work harder and burn more shot clock to get those switches at least. And like they they will. They'll try it. Um, I'm not predicting that it'll work. I've learned better than to predict basically anything. Uh, but they'll try it. They'll try better stuff. Uh, are the Bucks better than you thought they were now that they've reached the finals, or do they still? Because you always you know we always used to joke about them being fraudulent. And really not that all that good of a team given the components that they have. And just watching them, I you know, I mean they went they they beat a a shorthanded Brooklyn Nets team, and then they got to the the finals by beating a Hawks team that was both young and was missing Trey Young for a game, although Giannis was missing for uh two games as well. So I don't I don't know if I have a firm grasp on whether or not this Bucks team like I don't want to do the Simmons thing and be like, are we sure they're good? Like I right. like, but but I don't really know that this team. <laughs> you had to do the invitation. I do Evan's impression of the impression. Yeah. That's you know, like that's how like I do Colbert's Trump where they um sorry, you know, and, <laughs> and that's so I I do Evan's thing where it's like the first Pearl Jam. Like I don't I don't know how to do it on my own. So but the, okay. Uh, is this team going to be? Is this team really worth a shit, or will the rest of the East basically overtake them next year and beyond? Well, it's po- it's possible that I just have like Bucks derangement syndrome because they've made it all the way to the finals and they still have the ability to make me go, "Oh my god, these guys are total frauds," and maybe that just is me just kind of not being willing to like them. I don't it's think it's though. on you, dude. It's some of it's aesthetics. Some of it is also that, like, for an NBA Finals team, they kind of have a lot of not that great dudes that play big minutes for them. Yeah, yeah. Brooke Lopez like, just, like, is like really important... available chaff. You know, yeah. like Pat Connaughton and like yeah, fucking Ben Poor Portis and like Bryn Forbes and stuff. And these are all like useful enough. They're you know definitely NBA players are better at basketball than anybody I will ever meet in person outside of a interviewing a basketball player scenario. But they just. I don't know. Like they don't, they feel like the, the old sort of doomed Eastern conference teams yes. that used to get like burped up into the finals to get stomped out by the Spurs yeah. or the Lakers. Getting big minutes out of Tyrone Hill and Eric Snow. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, it's not to say that they're like gritty and like, you know, they try hard and everything like that. And they're tough and all that. It's just like, they have fewer good players than the Suns do. Yeah. It's I've, po- I've a, oh, go, go ahead. It's possible that a couple of years from now in retrospect, like, you know, Bryn Forbes and, Pat Connaughton will seem like they are to Giannis what like Mo Williams was to early LeBron or mm-hmm. just, just like a, a guy who had absolutely no business having anything to say about whether he would win championships or not. It's weird. Cause I feel like the bucks have gotten the hard, the part that the Cavs did not get right in basically a decade with, LeBron. right. You know, which is that like, I think Drew holiday and Chris Middleton, who I've like underrated at various different times in watching them really are like the second and third best players on a team that could win an NBA championship that could beat like a really good team for an yeah. NBA championship. And so it all always comes back to Giannis for me. And like, I, I think he'll get better. I believe that for years. And yet like it hasn't quite happened yet in a way that I think has like tipped them over the top. But I think they did a lot of the hard part um, in a way that they hadn't done in years past, just in terms of like locking those two guys into place. 
I've also evolved as a basketball fan where, you know, I, you know, I worshiped Jordan in the 90s the way everyone did. But ever since the Warriors and the Seven Seconds are Less Sons, I have become more, uh, not just, not just uh, fan inclined, but also like strategically inclined to teams that know how to move the ball well and yeah. teams that do move the ball well. More fun to watch. And, and the Suns do that and the Bucks don't. Like the Bucks have that 90s vibe to them where it's like, okay, well, we're going to pass it to one guy and he's going to try to do something for five seconds before nothing happens and he passes it to another guy who does the same thing for another five seconds. Yeah, so I think the Bucks are like admirably unselfish. It just doesn't happen fast or smoothly. Yes! In, in, the, way that, That's it. in the way that it does with the Suns uh, this season at least. You know, the, yeah, it, I want it. smoothness. It's too right. clunky. Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have nowhere for this conversation to go now. I've, I've, I've talked myself into a goddamn corner. Uh, let's take a break and come back and talk about some other crap. Hey, we're back. It's time to play Dead or Cancelled with you, Albert Brunico. You ready to play Dead or Cancelled? I am ready to play Dead or Cancelled. Okay, you are, you are a, uh, you're a repeat guest, so you know the rules. I don't have to explain the rules to you, Okay. That's right. Uh, is this person dead or canceled? Give you the name. Tell me they're dead or canceled. Rachel Nichols, is she dead or canceled? Is Rachel Nichols dead or canceled? Albert? Rachel Nichols is canceled. She is canceled. That is the correct. Ding, 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 ding. Gold prize for you. Is she really? Uh, you know, no one who's canceled gets canceled anymore because, you know. Yeah, she was still on the jump. And then she had she had a, a little, like, half-hearted apology moment. Uh on the jump, and then she got taken off of sideline duties. So she is still in the network's employ, and they're not going to fire her. And the one thing I wanted to get to uh, after Kevin Draper broke the story for the New York Times was that Albert Adam Silver released a statement, and it was full of sort of boilerplate bullshit, but I just wanted to get to one, uh, one, the last paragraph within Silver's statement, if I may. Uh, may I read it to both of you gentlemen? Please do. I'd rather you didn't. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we are all familiar with issues in workplaces. Thank you, Adam. But they are handled by human resources departments and people are quietly brought into rooms and they work through them. People can talk these things through. When things are playing out in the media and in social media, it is incredibly difficult for everyone involved. I hope that the folks at ESPN are able to work through these. So the rest of the statement, whatever, I don't give a fuck. It's, you know, it's the standard, oh, we, we, we have concerns about this, but blah, blah, blah. It's not really our business. But the, the fact that Adam Silver said, you know what? The real problem with this scandal is that it was made public is right. fucking wrong. It's absolutely fucking wrong. Yes. And shitty. Like, this shit needs to be public because otherwise nothing fucking happens. Right. Right. So you're talking about it from the perspective of someone who cares about the underlying issues, which is not Adam Silver's perspective. No. Right. Not at all. But because I interrupted so, you, Albert. Go ahead. Well, so, like, part of what's creepy about his response there um, is just you know, insisting that these things be handled internally by the approved HR process is just a way of reiterating whatever, you know, inequalities and biases and bullshit are built into the way the organization runs itself, right? Because HR is just going to uphold whatever the sort of standing values of the company are, which in ESPN's case, as we now know, and as, as the reporting has shown for a long time, are all types of fucked up. Right. Yeah. yeah, we. I mean, we we know now, both through personal experience and through news reports, that the the majority of HR departments serve the employer and not the employee. Right, like they're just there to be fucking cops. And the other thing is that we also know now that New Coke Deadspin had this story a year ago. A year ago, uh, posted about it poorly. They did the absolute worst job they possibly could. And so essentially, because of that. It was a non-story. No one paid attention to it. And so it was handled internally by ESPN for over a fucking year before Draper reported on it properly. And the way ESPN handled it internally was that everyone was fucking pissed and they did nothing. Right. So we have proof that handling it privately did nothing, did absolutely nothing right. over at ESPN. And, so, well, and, well, and also that making it public was part of what prompted ESPN to even try to deal with it in the first place. Correct. Yeah, and they did shitty because 
they knew nobody had really noticed so they could get away with it. But this right. time people actually noticed because it was reported on properly. Yeah. I mean, this is a stupid uh, way to expand it. So I'm not going to expand it all the way out. <laughs> but in any failing institution, proper channels can still exist. Rules and laws and sort of best practices are still there. It's just that if the broader structure of it is rotten, there's no way that they can get you to where you want to be. Right. right. Because no way. And so if ESPN is fucked in the ways that it seems like it's fucked in terms of like creating this weird crabs in a barrel culture of putting people against each other. And then also this like sort of just like shitty, gripey, backstabbing stuff that seems, you know, and for years, for decades has been known to be more or less the way that things operate there. There's not, the thing to do is to fix that, not to then go through the processes that have upheld that over the course of decades and hope that maybe somehow they would deliver a just outcome in this you know, regard. Yeah. Yes, this is sort of about like the Supreme Court and stuff, but I'm not doing that because we're talking about <laughs> ESPN. That's right. We're definitely I, uh, not talking about any other institutions here. I want to be very clear about that. Thank it's a bit off topic, but my old, my old high school, uh, it came out when I was there that there were students who sexually assaulted students, or there were teachers who sexually assaulted students, and, and, and not just one, but, but many, because that's how prep schools operate. And I remember going back uh, to Exeter a few years ago and, and going into the, uh, like one, of the, one of the administrative offices to ask about it, because I you know, was curious. And the woman I was talking to was much angrier that, uh, that one of the victims went to the press and not to someone within Exeter itself to have the situation handled. And it's like, dude, the reason people go to the press for this sort of thing is because they know nothing will get done right. otherwise. And so it's just disheartening to see that sort of dynamic play out again and again and again in different scenarios, in different situ institutions where it's always, oh, there's a right and a wrong way to do this. And the right way just happens to be the one where we suffer no consequences and no one in the public knows about it or gets the judges for it. Right. Uh, would you like to remember a guy? I would love to remember any number of guys. The all last right. time this happened, you gave him the wrong guy and you made him upset all day long about Anton Jameson. So <laughs> That's I hope right. you made a responsible That's right. choice. That's right. I, I, don't don't... Wanna, I don't want to remember any infuriating former wizards. <laughs> I, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think this one will, will make you angry. Your guy of the week is Natron Means, Albert Oh, Rico. God. He, guy? Natron Means was incredibly fucking cool, man. Yeah, dude. He was we, love, we love a cube who runs real fast, don't we, folks? The big oh, cubes he was... that they knock the boys over. It was amazing that the Chargers had Marion Butts, who was that sort of player. Yep. And then they got Nature on Means, who was even better at the same <laughs> shit Marion Butts did. He was so cool, man. <laughs> I love big, fat running backs. Uh, the that's other thing basically, was that, that's a, a very good choice on your part, uh, Drew, because I was worried that you would go back to the well and be like, oh, Randy Whitman, Albert, sorry. You picked a guy that makes everybody happy, which is yeah, It's Karad Butler, Albert. Let's remember Karad. So, so like a cool Natron Means thing was that he was not just a big, fat cube of a running back who could do Jerome Bettis shit. He also loved to do Barry Sanders shit, even though, yeah. he, even though he was like eight feet wide, and that was the coolest. That was the best. He had wiggle, man. Yeah, and he I, think did. I, I also, I, I'm very mad at Chris Berman because back in the day, Chris Berman, he did his nickname bullshit for Natron Means, and it was Natron Refried Means, which sucks. Come and on, then Natron means business is right there. You yeah, just, it's easy. That's not even good, but it's Chris Berman level. Then he switched it to Natron means business, okay. but he always said the nickname in like his rumble bumblees. So he was like, uh, like he was chewing on a wad of fucking hickory chips while he was <laughs> saying the name. And so, so I always think of Natron means, I always think of Berman saying the name first. And for that, Chris Berman should go to prison. That's you know what is, is great about that is that his first thought, best thought, was refried means. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really a window into the mind of Chris Berman. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like looking down at his plate and being like, <laughs> Tron Rice. No, wait. I have an idea. <laughs> And by the way, Natron is his first name. Natron Bomb is sitting right there, and you can take it. Like, yep. you go with refried beans? What the fuck is wrong refried with you? Refried beans. That's like, what, what, what is the boringest possible pun I can make out of this insane gift of a name? What's funny is that that's like the version of ESPN that people are nostalgic for, is where like Chris yeah. Berman could just go up there with a fucking half a load on and be like, I call this guy the big sandwich that I want to eat right now. <laughs> that's right. 
It's true. Like I'm, I'm the guy who's nostalgic for like the Keith and Dan Sports Center, but Same. that yeah, that version of ESPN was anchored by fucking Chris Berman. Yeah, doing all his bullshit. At least so. they seemed like they were having fun. What you're nostalgic yeah. for is the innocence, man. Your yeah. own oh, innocence. That's so true, dude. Oh my goodness gracious. I know uh, it's the thing. You for with nostalgia, you only remember the good shit, and so it's like, well, what's going on now has good and bad things. And I only remember all this good stuff from the past. So clearly the past was better. You know, I just forgot. You know, I just forgot. Yeah, no one about remembers all. the Charlie Steiner race realism hour that they aired every day at <laughs> 8 p.m. Why did they do that? It's a terrible idea. Uh, how about a fun bag question for you guys? Would you guys like a fun yeah. bag question? Please. All right. Chris writes in, Albert, if you were obligated to be a referee in a professional sport league, which would you choose and what position, i.e. third base on versus home plate? What kind of Ref or ump, would you be, Albert? Uh, can I uh, take as a given that I'll be an incredibly bad one? Yeah, take as a given you'll be a bad one. However, let's take athleticism out of it. So okay. don't worry about running up and down the court or any okay. of that shit. Okay, then my answer is boxing. Oh! That's well, the wait. best seat in the house. Yeah. What about, what about that versus pro wrestling? I'm still going boxing. Okay, all right, all right. Roth? Boxing, you actually had some authority. Pro wrestling, the whole gig is basically a bunch of things happening while you're randomly looking in the wrong direction. Though it'd be unless, you're part, unless you're part of the work. Right. And it'd be fun to, to like get knocked out as the wrestling ref. Yeah. Like if you're dangerous Danny Davis. Oh, yeah. I guess that'd be good to be. <laughs> uh, my choice is tennis. The one that looks... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Tennis. Okay. I yeah, get to fair. sit up in a high chair. I get a microphone. I get to just... I just get to say... Quiet, please, to the to the crowd. Right. <laughs> like the idea, you can turn to the crowd and be like, "Hey, listen, you shut the fuck up for a second. They're trying to play. That's great. I would love yeah, to one, do that." Once in a while, you get to like mutter imperiously at a pissed off tennis player. That's great. That's where it's yeah. At. And then some like angry Serb just like starts right. like chewing me out and like throws his racket and just says just the absolute nastiest shit. And I can keep a poker face the whole time and then just like quietly eject him. It's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Nick Kyrgios calls you a Muppet. You just have to sit there and <laughs> let it all happen. I'd be so, so drunk with power. It'd be great. Being a tennis ref would be tight because it's really good seat for tennis. Uh, you get to watch it. And then also, I think if you get in that chair, you get the ability to speak in that tennis umpire accent. That's which right. Is the same at every tournament somehow. Mm. Oh, my God. Advantage. Federer or something like Juice. that. Juice. Yeah, right. juice. I love I love a good juice. Juice. I juice. I love <laughs> also I think I think the chair has a little canopy. Like yeah. oh yeah. I don't think your son exposed like a fucking lifeguard or anything like that. I think it's all good. Uh pro wrestling would be good. I'm trying to think of another like I don't I don't want to be a golf official because you're a cop. That's no good. What about a home plate yeah. ump? Home plate ump would be fun. Kind yeah, of except, except I think calling balls and strikes is nerve wracking. I could do, also, you, yeah. I could do also, like first base. I could do first base. Yeah. Well, third. Yeah. I guess first base is better. Home plate, though. Not only do you get to call balls and strikes, but you also get to preside over a plate collision and do the really dramatic. He's out or he's yeah, safe. That, that like everything. So like, if you could go safe, like with the massive, like just spreading your arms as wide as you can from the close, that would be pretty badass. I would enjoy that quite a bit. Although I'm, I, I might be... It's also another one where you get to make fun noises. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything is... straight calls and stuff. I, re I remember... I, yeah, I remember when I was playing Little League with this one kid in Minnesota, and he was kind of an asshole. And during batting practice, he would say stee, like as a strike. Stee is a but good one. But he would say it really casual. He, so he would say... He would use umpirees, but in a normal register, <laughs> and he would think that was cool. So he'd be like... <laughs> He'd be like, that's a stee. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, like I put some old thing ah, on that one. Yeah, you have to do the full Enrico Palazzo <laughs> shit. Like, to have fun. I don't know. That's, there's a nice chaos energy to doing it calmly. Uh, Jack writes in, Albert, what's the most fun sport, even if you suck at it? I say it's surfing. My sophomore year of college at UCSD, I lived in Del Mar, just a block from the beach, where three roommates who were really into surfing, and of course they would always drag me out with them. I never became a good surfer by any means, but I must say it was still 
fun as hell. I don't agree with uh, no. That's that's that, like the way. wrongest possible. Because <laughs> you have to be able yeah. to surf. No, because because the thing is, the absolute most miserable and difficult part of surfing is the part that you have to learn just to get to the part where you stand up on a board. It's paddling. Yeah! Pa- paddling is miserable. It's like the worst thing in sports. If you if you can surf at all, if you can stand up on the board. You're good at surfing as far as you don't suck at surfing. Right. Like you can paddle past waves out yes. to the part where you theoretically then get on another wave. Yes. You're better at surfing you can, than like 50% of the people that ever try it. If you can, yeah. duck, if you can duck dive under a wave without getting swept off the board, you're Kelly Slater. Like, forget it. Like, learning to paddle is the most miserable thing in the world. Albert, you're talking like a man who knows how to surf. Yeah. A man who has think- tried and failed. Okay. Uh, yeah. How yeah. many times have you tried to surf? A, a meager handful. Did you take a proper lesson, like with Lori no. Petty and stuff like that? No. no. <laughs> that would have been uh, great. What is the answer then? What is the most fun sport, even if you suck at it? <sighs> what is the most fun sport, even if you suck at it? Uh, hmm. That's a good question. I'm not sure any of them are like really fun if you suck at it. Like, do you suck at baseball if you can throw a baseball from here to there and play catch? Uh, if you can't bat. I mean, the whole thing is that. It's fun to play baseball, except when you fail. So then if you suck, you're going to fail a lot. And that's very right. embarrassing. And you feel very emasculated and horrible when you strike out and stuff like that. So it's, it's is, tough. Like, golf is the same way. Okay, next so question. I, is miniature golf a sport? Yeah, I'll, I'll count miniature golf. All right, golf. then it's miniature golf. Yeah, if we, can, if we can lower this to the level of, like, Jenga, then, like, that's yeah, right. things where there's no <laughs> consequences, you can kind of do whatever you want. Is ranking Shakespeare plays a sport? Yep. So I would have said basketball a while ago, but then I realized I just stopped playing pickup games because I hated how bad I was. Right. Like I stopped being able to have fun with it. And I was never like, you know, super duper good, but I went through a time in my life where I was good at basketball. And then I went through a time where I was like, acceptable, able to have fun playing pickup games with people I didn't know. And then at some point I was like, you're like fucking bow outlaw without the energy now. Like you can't do anything. That's right. Your glasses are constantly flying off. <laughs> and like you've lost every, whatever, the ability to like hit a shot. So if I'm like, a, you know, whatever, a three and D guy with neither three nor D, then like what the, f- I'm not having fun if, I, if that's me. At yeah. That point. So I have kind of a fun personal story about that. Uh, when I was a teen, I was actually a not terrible pickup player. Like I was never good. I was never the kind of guy who was going to be like a good high school varsity player but i was a pretty decent Never had the makings player. of a varsity athlete and then you know i turned 20 and my metabolism switched off and uh i started having the kinds of jobs where you sit down a lot and so a few years went by where i didn't play a lot of pickup and then uh, i got a job uh at a at a law firm in the it department and the, one of the mo- absolute most obnoxious dickhead managers there was a guy who had clearly been like the hot shot on his high school basketball team. And he used to corral all the dudes in the office to play pickup once a week. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to show this guy up. And, uh, and I, you know, like dumpy 25 pounds heavier than I had ever played basketball before airballed my first two shots and lost my enthusiasm for pickup basketball for the whole rest of my life. <laughs> oh man, I get it. I, by, by the way, I have a couple of uh, contributions to the answer, and then I have something else I wanted to talk about in relation to that question. So, uh, tennis. I played a lot of tennis as a kid, and I wasn't very good at it, but I had fun playing tennis because when yeah, you, that's a good answer because you can absolutely smash the yeah. shit out of the ball. Uh, yeah. and squash is the same way. Like I've played squash, and I was never very good at squash, but of course I went to prep school. Of course I played squash once in a while, and it's still fun to be in a cube of a room and beat the fucking piss out of a hacky sack and watch it go boom, bing, bing, off of the walls. That's very fun. I've never played squash. Did you feel like you were in a Joe Esterhouse movie? A hundred percent. I felt like I was Tom Hanks in Splash. It was awesome. I loved that. And also, uh, and also uh, beach volleyball. I yes. have never played beach volleyball well, but when you fail at beach volleyball, it's hilarious. You're like, ha, ha, ha. Right. I lost, but we were at the beach having fun. Like you just, yeah, it's a good not, time. Yeah, and instead of yeah. instead of losing, you're merely frolicking. Like it's not really that. Big That's deal. what I remember about tennis. Actually, it's why I like that answer. My sister and I, our family would go on these like basically like Jewish person safari to Hilton Head every summer. Like we were like the only non Gentiles for 100 miles in any direction. <laughs> I bet. And we would play tennis, and it would be we go in the summer, so it'd be like 101 degrees every day and super muggy. And my sister and I would just play tennis against each other, like not even really in a 
in an aggressive way. We were just like, we didn't know what we were doing or where the ball was going. So we were just like constantly moving each other around the court in like this really aggressive, like Nadali type way, just going cross court on each other or like accidentally hitting drop shots and be like, sorry, sorry. And just like kind of like running our asses ragged. And that was a, a really fun way to play sports, even though I think mostly we just annoyed everybody that was playing near us. I, uh, you mentioned mini golf, Albert, and I had a thought when I was in a rather green mood, which was that I was talking to myself in my head and I was like, hear me out. Really, really nice mini golf, like real grass, like real putters, like super competitive and like, but like not for kids, like for grownups. And Artisanal I had clown's mouths. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I had an idea of like, <laughs> like, a full, like a fully, <laughs> like, like an absolutely serious mini golf course for like, and like making like, and having like, and like inviting like real PGA professionals to come participate and, and shit like that. And honestly, I'm sober now. I think it could still work. Isn't that like the Steph Curry show or whatever? Isn't that basically the idea? No, because that's all that's, that's like, that's hijinks. You know what I mean? Like that's not, I haven't watched it either, but that's like, it's, it's too silly. It's too silly. I want serious mini golf. Like again, the grass has to be real and perfectly maintained. Commentators have to whisper. A hundred percent. Like it has to be as deadly serious and annoying as real golf. And to me, that would be, interesting i mean it would definitely be cool to get a measure of like you know who the guys are who can make crazy rube goldberg trick shots uh like i would go for that shit yeah like there's i looked it up because i I was gonna pitch barry like maybe uh like for like a field piece i could cover professional mini golfers because there's a professional everything and there is a professional mini golf league but i went to the website and i don't i still don't understand like, like, I think they had like a U.S. Open in like 2018 or something like that. I don't really mm. know if, the, if such a thing actually exists. But all that potential is there. And I feel, like, I feel like that's a gap in the marketplace that could be exploited, perhaps, perhaps by Defector Media. This is the thing that gets us all off the hamster wheel. We're going to get rich. And then that's we're gonna right. Get into, and we're going to get into crypto and get poor. A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, Anonymous writes in, I'll be 40 soon. Of all my friends... I'm the last man standing who is neither married nor has ever been nor has any kids. Relationships just aren't for me. Ooh, I don't like it when mm. people say that. Although maybe I haven't found the one yet. But that whole concept is bullshit, though. Every single person I know says the same thing, which is to enjoy being single while it lasts. My closest friends all say they love their kids and don't regret having them, but if given the choice, they may have done things differently. Most of my friends have already had a divorce, so my question to you is, this can't go tits up for me, right? When I'm 65 and sipping fruity drinks on a beach in Thailand, tell me I won't have any regrets watching my buddies do hologram FaceTime with their grandkids and think to myself, well, I wish I had done things differently. Anonymous, you are... And you might be Trevor Bauer, and I, I think you're extremely <laughs> wrong. Do either of you feel differently? I mean, I think Anonymous needs new friends. Yeah. Uh, I, it would bum me out if all of my friends were like, oh, if I had to do it over again, I never would have had my kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, is, like, what, what is going on in these men's lives? My wife and my fucking kids, man. Like, I definitely think there are dark moments as a parent where you're just really in the shit, and you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, I think every parent has that but i think i think the i think the mentality of oh marriage is a trap and my life is over i think that's really a remnant yeah. of the 80s and 90s i yeah, don't marriage, i don't marriage think fucking rules dude it's great it does it does and in in my case the, in the tough moments of being a parent and they those are like definitely real the feeling is one of like pity for my kids that they got stuck with me not the other way around <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're like i now i am now at the point of fatherhood where if if there's a problem between me and my kids, it's definitely me who's right. <laughs> who's responsible to, for most of the conflict. Like, I'm the one who fucked up, not them. Well, it's also, you guys are both at the stage with some of your kids, at least, where they're old enough that they're now going through experiences that you probably remember pretty well. Yeah. Like, the idea of, like, watching someone you care about just go through puberty sounds fucking brutal to me. Like, <laughs> it's honestly, like, I wouldn't know where to begin. I'd be like, I didn't do very well at this either, man. And I, I know that it sucks. What's happening to you right now? Like, you just feel weird all the time. It's actually been very cool. So, like, I got 15, 12, and 9. So, the 12-year-old, I just taught him to shave the other day, which, like, I think I only learned to shave from, like, ads when I was a Same. kid. Same. Yeah, like, 
Maybe my brother gave me a tip, but like the ads, like were really good tutorial. It's like, okay, I just swipe it. So I, I take my son and I, I say, okay, here's how you do it. And I try to give him all these instructions and shit. And then I was also like, make sure you just do it how they do it in the ads. And he's still not quite getting it. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm staying with him in the sink. I'm like, you want me to shave you? And he was like, yeah. And so I took the razor and I shaved his damn 12-year-old mustache uh, myself. And I was like, you get it now? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I taught my son to shave by shaving him. And that was very- Congratulations. The other thing is that I, my daughter- yeah, that's a big a, dad moment. My daughter had a, her friend over. My daughter's 15. She had a friend over uh, the other night. And I took them home uh, to our house in, in the car. I gave them a car ride home. And they were in the back and they were reminiscing. Like they were talking about, remember <laughs> we used to watch Backyardigans? Like all, all those years ago. And I was I almost pulled the car over and be like, listen, motherfuckers, you you don't get to reminisce. <laughs> there are no good old days when you're fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. you know how fucking horror I was like, I'm not a grandfather yet. You don't get to do that. <laughs> and they're like, uh, uh, just I hope I you do. both live long enough to hear your kids remember some guys. That's, that's right. both my fondest hope. <laughs> they're absolutely gonna remember some guys. Like, yeah, yeah, ten ten years from now, they're gonna be like, Oh man. Remember Brashad Breland? He was a guy. And that's going to happen, man. Uh, let's end on a basketball question for you, Albert. Would you, like to, would you like a basketball question? I would like a basketball question. That's too bad for you because it's about the Sacramento Kings. So Ooh. the Sacramento Ooh. Kings, David writes, have missed the playoffs Reader for 15 Patrick straight. R. Which, seems, which seems to me is starting to approach not just being bad, but also unlucky. I don't know if I agree with you there, David. It seems you could accidentally put together a team that's had decent, decent enough season to sneak into the playoffs where over 50% of the teams make it. I'm not saying Vlade or whoever has had the wherewithal to put together a good team, but couldn't they by random chance have put together a team where the players played decent enough in a single year to merit an eight seed? Could it just be that they have been because they have been in the West this whole time that they haven't been able to make the playoffs. At what point do you start really saying this is unusual, even for the Kings? 20 seasons? 30? Is it a cosmic fluke that they've been this shitty? Or is it by design, Albert? Uh, well, so like being in the West is definitely part of it, but you can only try to make the playoffs in the conference that you're in. Um, yes. And the nice thing about the NBA having an 82-game season is that like – you can only get that lucky or unlucky. You're not going to get lucky enough to get the number one seed if you have a shit team. And you're not going to get unlucky enough to finish 25 games below 500 if you have a really good one. That's just not going to happen, barring yeah. a, the kind of crazy injury that turns a good team into a shitty one. So the answer here is that, like, no, the Kings organization really is that inept. Uh, like they, it's, which is a remarkable thing to consider. 15 yeah. years is in a meet. So basically the last team that made the playoffs, that was the Kings. Bonzi Wells was on it. Right. <laughs> Damn. You talk about yeah. guys. So I did. But I mean, like, a guy that's like, I think he's like aged out of the big three now. Like, this is like basically going on a generation. I sort of feel like there's enough there that they should, well, I don't know. What should they make it in the next few years? They have two good backcourt players. You know, but they're wanna, still owned by the same people. The decisions I, are still made by the same people. I want to say that there are enough incompetent NBA teams that they should be able to back up into an eight seed one of these years or something like that. And yet, once again, it's inequity. You know, it's, it's, there's an inequity balance where most of those incompetent teams that don't really give a shit are in the East. And in the West, like we're talking about, you know, the, the teams that were out of the playoffs this year were the Warriors, who are well-run, the Spurs, who are well-run, the Timberwolves, who are not well-run. They don't all have to like, be well-run, but yes. You're... Right. And, you know, and the Thunder, who have you know, 600 first round picks in the next three years. So like you have, like they're really only competing with like the Rockets and the Pelicans who are extremely talented uh, for being the least, uh, the most inept team in that conference. So I sort of understand why, like there, there is the misfortune of them being uh, in a conference that doesn't have as many incompetent teams as they are, but doesn't absolve them of being incompetent. Well, so, so what's kind of funny about this, and it, what, it's, it, it, it's really a funny thing about like, the process, is that the very easy part of putting together a team that can make the playoffs in the NBA is getting like two young guys that you can feel excited about. That's the easiest part. Any shit right. team can do it. 
Um, if you, the kings are proved, you draft right. in the lottery for 10 years, you can get right. two guys, even the, if you're the kings. In the 15 years that the 15 consecutive years they've missed the playoffs, this is like the third or fourth time that they've had a couple of young guys you could feel excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hard part, the part that like is the test of whether an organization sucks or not is whether they can find the, like whether they just go, ah, now we have two young guys, now we can stop, or whether they can like sort of successfully do the next part, which is making a team that actually is good around them. The Wizards had two young guys to be excited about. And because it was the East, they made the playoffs a couple of times, but like yes. they, they never could put a team around them that was good enough to turn that into anything. And now they don't have any good young guys. They have one good guy in the middle of his career and one good old guy. Yeah, this is uh, the Wizards. I, I, you know, everybody uh, knows, expects, and even wants you to draw things back towards the Wizards. That's <laughs> right. a big part of your, but I think that's like a good comparison in the sense too, that like, the difference in the conferences in terms of like what the wizards have always been able to get a couple of guys, right. And right. then they treat it like it's a fucking title contender when it's not. And they right. don't, you know, like step on the gas and try to actually get good players. They, I, the one that I always go back to is like that year that was like arenas uh, and Butler and Jameson. And they were like, all right, look, we're almost there. We're going to get Randy Foy and Mike Miller for a first round <laughs> pick for like right. all of our picks or whatever. Right. And be like, and that's it, you know, like the final touches of a championship competitive competing team. And like, I mean, first of all, like obviously it didn't work out. So it's easy to say, obviously not, but also like, obviously not like you just have to like try harder than that. Right. And I don't know that you can, I mean, the Kings are a level of bad where it's not even easy to tell what they're trying for a lot of the time. It's just very clear that they think they're much closer to the end of that process than they really are. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Although I will say there is one thing. I, I, there's one thing that I, I think Kings fans can take comfort in. You know what that is? No. Let's jump it out. Jump it out. God. May. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to Ad Free of episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too. Albert Bernico, thanks for coming on. hoo No, no, thank you. Go Denmark. Cheers, cheers, mate. We're all rooting for England. We all love England. That includes Albert and Roth. They're like, wow, we can't (laughs) wait. So have a great NBA Finals. And fish coming home. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.